I'm over here now. I was over there. Now I'm over here. Sure. I'll bring all my shoes and my, my glasses with me. So I have them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with the OGs on the block to see the terror Eating pasta, primavera, feeding caca, be together People never know the wild shit we might say Grew up on Eddie Murphy, Jerky Boys, and Dice Play. I've been waking up nights, screaming Brooklyn Blast podcast Mama took my porn mags, jerkins, and a soft rags Easy when we talk about Mr. Ferrari Cause we go way back when we used to play Atari Sparked weed, taking shots like the Fratelli's RV Doing donuts in the parking lot at Arby's Car keys, now you can't leave, lock the door Please, Jimmy's on a mission. Time to start the intervention. Let's go. Episode 193 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace with my man over here. <laughs> with my man, Chris B. Everybody gets hurt, fit of anger. From Queens to Brooklyn to Japan. My man. Thanks for having me, bro. What's up, everybody out there, man? Thank you all for the support, yo. Oh. Thank you for doing this. I know that I hit you up a while back when I was only doing this audio, but you live way out in PA. So it's like you work a lot. So life and geography gets in the way. But it's one thing I've said constantly once I've been doing this video thing with this whole crazy pandemic is that I can still do it and I can do this with people that I can't meet up with face to face. So it's one little silver lining in this whole shit show that we're all living in. You know what I mean? Zoom turned out a lot easier to do the interview, you know, one-on-one -on -one yeah. with you. They're meeting up. I work seven days a week, so it's hard for me, man. It's hard. Yeah. Well, I'm, gl I'm glad that you, uh, you chose to do this, bro. This is good. My brother, I wanted support all the way. My man. So now, we were talking for a minute before, before I press record. Um, like I said, everyone's good with my family. How's your family doing with all this stuff and all that? How you been? How's the family, bro? How's the kid? Everyone, everyone's tight, man. We're, we're doing online schooling. Uh, I'm the only one actually going out. And um, I got, every, everyone's cool. Everyone's nice and healthy. And good. I hope everyone out there is, is doing the same, that everyone's healthy. Yeah, man. So now, what brought you, when, when did you, leave Queens and go out to Pennsylvania? Yeah, actually, um, I left Queens and I, I, uh, well, I met a woman in my dreams in England and I left Queens in 2006 and I moved to London, England. Oh, no shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, and from London, England, um, my wife got pregnant and I wanted to move out to where my parents live. They live out in the Poconos. And it's a lot nicer to raise the kids out here. So my son is actually made in England, but born in the USA. There you go. And, uh, and now I have a lovely daughter too. So I have a million dollar family. I have a, a beautiful wife, awesome son, awesome daughter, and living out in PA. That's you know, great. I, I grew up, Jimmy, I grew up way too fucking quick, way too quick in New York. So I wanted to give them, a, a, you know, a good a good upbringing, a real childhood that, you know, I never had, but hopefully we'll, we'll get into my childhood and stuff like that. My family. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. I just, I just wanted to touch on like the now and stuff like that. And I see, you know, we're friends on Facebook and whatnot. And I see you don't post often, but when I do, I know that you're, 
dude, I got to say, because I'm a father and I live for my daughter. And so I see all your stuff and everything. And, and I see that you're an awesome father. And I know you break your ass for your family. And that's highly commendable. So more power to all you guys. Oh, yeah. Listen to this, man. When my, when my kids were uh, just born, I wanted to keep my wife at I miss you. It's okay. A little technical difficulty for a second. Can you How hear? About me? That? Ah, I got you. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So it's all good. This happens. Everyone understands at this point in the game. All right. So um, when my kids were growing up, I didn't want to have any babysitters or anything like that. I wanted to keep my wife around with them. So I worked crazy hours. I worked uh, two jobs during the week and a weekend job. My Friday, I worked 32 hours straight work. Monday, 22 hours straight work. And then two hours, uh, two jobs during the week. So, but uh, after the seven day work week, I knew my kids were home with their mom, nice and safe and everything's working, man. That's great. I I go all out for my family. I see that. I, I I see that just with, like I said, with your posts and stuff like that, I, you don't really have to say much about it. I just see it and I can tell. And that's, that's awesome. Dude. You know, it's like, it's like my kid too. Like I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up way too fast. I saw a lot of things and did a lot of things way young that I shouldn't have been doing. You know, a lot of knuckleheads I grew up around, you know, me and my, me and my, 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 my daughter's mother were divorced, but we're on good terms. And my daughter lives in Jersey, which is, almost like the suburbs and I'm kind of under the circumstances it's whatever, but I'm kind of happy about that because she has a different upbringing than running around Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn, bar hopping and hanging out with knuckleheads. You know what I mean? She has stability out there and it's quiet. So I'm grateful for that. It's a hard lifestyle in New York growing up. Of course, man. You know, especially our our age, our generation, it's it was it was different than it is now. And I say that a lot. I sound like the old man, like get off my lawn, but it's the truth. You uh, know, you I know, grew up in the best times. I grew up in the fucking best times. Oh, without a doubt, dude. These New York City, but Rocky One just came out in the driving movies. Wiley was on the radio. Pink Floyd, The Wall was number one. Yeah. We were fucking going crazy out there. Of course. I grew up in Astoria, New York, uh, right by Astoria Park South. And I got some freaking crazy stories. I grew up with a lot of hardcore kids. Yeah. And uh, hundreds of us hanging out. You know, we, we had a great upbringing, but like I said, it was went by, it was way too quick. Way too quick. I knew there was no Santa Claus at five years old, you know? Oh, and, same here. There was um, no Santa Claus. Was, oh, yeah. <laughs> give my kids a real childhood and i did i succeeded in that i'm proud of that you know you should you should absolutely proud of that but astoria park was an awesome awesome spot to grow up jim oh i don't know if you've ever been there man but that i probably i I know i I never i can't say i ever hung out there because i'm a brooklyn kid so i never hung out there but go ahead man it was there was insane things going down huh yeah yeah, you know, Astoria Park has two giant bridges in it. It has the Triborough Bridge, and then on the other side, it has the Hellgate Bridge. In the middle of that, there's a giant pool, and we just all met up at the, the bench on Astoria Park South, and we hung out every freaking night, man. 
Yeah. So there was there was two types of kids when I grew up. There was the older kids and then us who were the younger kids. Mm-hmm. So the older kids, uh, we had like block football teams. And right. we were called, the older kids were called the Story Park South, the football team. You know, and we were called the Story Park South Juniors because we were the younger guys. Gotcha. So we used to go around to different different sections, different areas of Queens and play other block people, you know. Mm-hmm. And I grew up very poor, so I didn't have any football equipment. But all my friends would give me, because it was tackle football with equipment. So all my friends used to give me all their stuff, you know. I, they gave me the helmets and stuff like that. And I was thankful, man. And we, we had a blast, bro, growing up. Blast. <laughs> it was football. It was rock and roll, heavy metal. It huh? was... It, yeah, it was um, wrestling. Oh, my God. We all used to wrestle each other and go crazy. Of course. And then, um, we, had, we had crazy stuff that we used to do, man. Mini bikes, dirt bikes, you know, in the streets and shit. And uh, stolen cars, get, getting wrecked over there. Of course. We used to take stolen cars, and we used to push them up this dead-end street. And then we all used to climb up in the stolen car. It, the engine wasn't working. This is like when we're like seven years old, you know, six years old. We'd hang out the windows and just let the car go down the street. We're all in the car. And then we just go to the end of the block and just crash the car, you know. We used to do crazy, crazy stuff like that. Bonfires and, and um, but the football team and, and everyone with it, man, we just, like I said, the dimension was the older guys and the younger guys. I was part of the younger guys. So they used to play games like it was called the kicking game, Jim. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the kicking game was there was like 20 guys, 20 of the big guys on one side, 20 of the big guys on the other side. And us little guys, we used to have to make it through the center of them and while they're kicking us the whole time, right? Of course. If we went all the way to the end, then we got a can of beer. So it, that, was, that was the fun. A reward at the end. You know what's yeah, crazy? Reward. You came up with all this kind of crazy shit. No. Because there was no phones, there was no internet, so you didn't need anything to create fun. And, like, you're smiling the entire time. That's great memories, dude. Yeah, and we kind of messed up. Well, I don't know if it's messed up, because I don't know if I really want my daughter doing that. But kids nowadays don't have any of that no more. I know. Me and my brother, I got a, my brother's five years older than me. And we used to have boxing matches in our house with hockey gloves. Right. I was about, you know, six or seven years old. And then, you know, he's a lot bigger than me with, with hockey gloves on. And he used to, right in front of my parents, he used to knock me out where I was stone cold knocked out on the floor. And I would get right back up and I would, come on, get some more, get some more. And they're like, no, no, you just got knocked out. Like, no, 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 come on, give me some more. You know? We were tough, tough kids, man. We, we had great fun, and it was always out in the streets. I was out in the street all day long when the when the lights went out, and uh, and I'd hear my muscle. My my mother would give like a whistle, like like yeah. a wee wee kind of whistle. That's when I knew it was time to come in and uh and go eat and stuff like that. But we're forever outside. Yeah, forever. same same thing here, man. It's crazy because I I grew up in Canarsie and. I'd be I'd be a block down, and my fa- my father was 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 shot, and he used to do this weird. <laughs> I haven't told I don't think I ever told this story, but he used to hang out the window. My mother wouldn't whistle, but he would say out the go out the window, and he would do this weird. It almost sounded like a honk. 
he would do like with his throat. It was like some bizarre, weird, because he was like, he was, he was nuts. But he used to like this weird honk like three times. And then like one kid that was on the block would know that that's Jimmy's dad. And then it would go down the block. Like it would be, you know, pass it along. And then I'd be like, oh, Jim, your dad's honking out the window. I'd be like, oh, <laughs> that means it's time to go home and go eat dinner. And then I would always like get into an argument with my family because I wanted to go back out, you know? But it would be too late. You'd never, you'd never be able to get me in that. Oh, no. Never. I went back out, Jim. I went back out after that. And we used to plug our radios into the light poles. Into the light poles, yeah. Into the light poles, man. And we used to be all night long on the Story Park South on the bench. Uh-huh. We'd drink beers. We would have fun, listen to metal. Listen, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Blizzard of Oz just came oh, out. Great. Randy Rhodes, man. That, that guy was fucking wailing on guitar. And I grew up with all that. And it yeah. was the best time. Best freaking time in the world, man. Who, who was? Do you know anybody in particular that got you into like listening to that kind of music? I have it vivid in my head how I got turned on to heavy music. Well, when everyone, uh, you know, everyone had their own thing they were doing. You know, we're all individuals. You know, and I generated to to like the heavier stuff. I always liked, you know, like Iron Maiden, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath. You know, and that was the early years. You know, when I was seven years old, I had a Leonard Skinner uh, jean jacket, you know. Yeah. And I was growing up, you know, really hard with everyone like that. And then um, I got introduced to hardcore music about when I was probably around 12 years old. And, um, and this thing right here, this started me out in hardcore. I don't know if you can see this. Unruled. I can see it perfectly, clear as day. I mean, uh, we used to all wear this, like, you know, little bandana. Bunch of fucking hooligans. Ah, one night I was hanging out. I'll never forget the, I'll never forget this memory. One night I was hanging out, and, you know, they had all these unruled shirts, you know, on the bench. They had the unruled shirts, bandanas. And I'm like, you know, what is this? And it was, it was AJ Novello, and he was one of the guys who hung out. AJ was in the Story Park South football team, too. He was all the guys. So they said, yo, it's AJ's new band. So we all running around like psychopaths with the, with the bandanas on, going crazy all night long. And then a big moment was when AJ quit the football team. And he quit the football team to go into his music more. And um, I said, oh, shit, he's fucking really getting serious. Because... We were all into, you know, like Motorhead and Maiden and Black Sabbath. And we were all really into our instruments. My instrument was the bass, you know. George DeRico from Outburst, he played guitar. Jojo, he played drums. There was another guy, Tony Castanis. We call him Tony the Greek. Tony the Greek played drums for Show of Force. My brother who played drums, uh, I'm sorry, my brother who played guitar for Cold Front and Show of Force as well. I don't know if you ever heard of Show of Force. I've heard, I heard, I've heard, I'm not familiar with the music, but I have absolutely heard of them. Look them up, bro. Look them up, guys out there. Man. Show of Force. Mike DeJean played guitar for them too. And what we all did was before, you know, everything got serious, we would all go out to different studios and we'd all jam together, man. We'd jam like, Motorhead Kill by Death, the song, for hours, bro. We just sit there and jam that song for hours. We jam crazy Maiden songs, you know, uh, Black Sabbath, Paranoid, 
we just jam, 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 jam. And we're all so dedicated to our instruments, man, too. And when AJ quit the football team, man, that was a big step. And then uh, I said, oh, shit, he's really getting serious in his band. And then the leeway demo came out. It'd be enforced. That, that was like end game. I freaking fell in love with the first leeway demo. It's still, yeah. it's still yeah. ridiculous to this day. Yeah, they changed their name from the Unruled to Leeway. Yeah. When they were the Unruled, you know, they were playing shows out there. And I was way too young to go. And the bigger guys, the big guys, we called them, they didn't want to take us. So I remember we got we got on the train one time, me, James Dijon, he's also known as Malta the Damager. Oh, and, we went, and everyone was talking about CBGBs. Everyone, CBGB, CBGB, CBGB. So I'm thinking it's this fucking giant ass fucking club, right? We jump on the train because, you know, that, that's how we were. We were always in the city and shit all the time. So we made our way, me and James made our way down to CBGB's. I walked, I was like, what the hell? I went out, tons of fucking people outside. It was totally a different scene. It was punk rocks all over the place, hardcore kids all over the place, metal kids all over the place. And it was really a, a tight, fucking cool scene to hang out in, man. Yeah. I was this little fucking guy. I couldn't get into the club because I'm 12 years old or something like that. Yeah. Was playing in there. First time I ever heard of a band called Gilgan's Revenge. They were playing there too. And they later became token entry. And I just stood outside the door, fucking memorized by all the music going on inside. All I wanted to do was get inside. <laughs> way too young. Way too young back then. And all the big guys, you know, uh, beating me up outside of CBGBs and having fun like that. Great, great memories over there to begin with, man. And everything started with the Unruled, man. Nice. And, uh, there was a song on that first demo called Lovesick. I don't know if you know that one. I'm not sure. Only released on a demo tape, man. The first Leeway, you know, they changed their name from the Unruled to Leeway. Yeah. And I learned that whole freaking demo on the bass, you know, by myself. And then one day there were practice because there was a drummer in Leeway. His name was Sasso Matroni. And Sasso, actually, his father, I'm pretty sure, was in bands. Um, I think Morengue bands, uh, Morengue bands, I don't know. And um, they used to let Sasso jam with Leeway, the Unruled, in Sasso's room. So one day I went up there and I was a little guy. And they were jamming out in Sasso's room. And I asked if I could play bass with that man. Oh, freaking highlight. I picked up the group. I played Lovesick, the song, with them. And we were jamming. Eddie was there, too. Oh, it was great, man. It was great times to grow up in. Great times. Yeah, sounds like it, dude. So now, yeah. who, were, who were the guys? Was your first band Fit of Anger or no? My, well, I played, I played in a couple, like, uh, high school metal bands and like some underground bands and I could get I'll, I'll get into Fit of Anger in a little bit because okay. did you release anything with those bands before Fit of Anger or no? No, never anything released, you know? Yeah. We were always we're always partying like in studios, you know, going to studios together, going, you know, and um that was that was a huge deal for us. And then Leeway throughout their second demo tape, the Enforcer demo tape. Yeah. That was badass, man. I don't know if you know that tape. It's ridiculous, of course. Leeway's one of my favorite bands. Leeway, wow. Leeway is the band that 
brought me from being a metalhead, and they introduced me like to hardcore because they were a crossover band. So yeah. I've said this a million times on the podcast, but the like it was my turning point was I went to Lemoore's and it was it was White Zombie Leeway Suicidal Tendencies, and I went to go see Suicidal, but Leeway was open and I had heard of. I was there. I was there at that show. All right. Well. That- I think we have a discrepancy with me and you on that one. I think Sheer Terror played that show. No. Incorrect. You say no, I say yes. Maybe I'm getting mixed up with a different show. But I was at Lights, Camera, Revolution. At yep. Le Mans. Is that what you're talking about? It was at Lamar's. It was it was on Lights, Camera, Revolution. Yeah, it was, I was there. It was White Tommy Lee. Awesome show, man. Freaking <laughs> intense. Intense. I went to see Suicidal, and then they came out, and Leeway opened up with, it wasn't out yet. Desperate Measures wasn't out yet, but they opened up with Future. With Future isn't what it used to be. And then they went right into Rise and Fall. And as soon as they went into Rise and Fall, Lamores went insane. And I was just like, what do we have here? And the very next day, I bought Born to Expire and Agnostic Front, Liberty and Justice. And it was, and then I went backwards and I went into victim and pain and then I, I studied all my lessons and then I went forward. Yeah. So, Great times, man. Yeah. So I was at uh, Enforcer, the Enforcer demo. Which was freaking killer, man. That fucking tape was killer. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure before the Born to Expire album came out, Leeway Born to Expire, Outburst put dead demo out. Yeah. That surprised the fuck out of me as well, man. Of course. George Jericho, I grew up with him. And the fucking Outburst demo tape was fucking phenomenal. Yes. Slamming. Yeah. Around, so, around the same time, Breakdown 7-inch. Breakdown demo. Before Breakdown demo. Yeah, the 87 oh, demo. Yeah. The number one thing of my life was the fucking Breakdown demo. Dude, I fucking carried those lyrics around in my pocket, you know, photocopied those lyrics, carried them around in my pocket and learned every fucking breakdown lyric. That was the, the demo was the turning point of my teenage years, man. Sure. I just freaking love that. They're my number one favorite band to this day is Breakdown. Really? Definitely. Without a doubt. Breakdown is no. your number one favorite hardcore band. Breakdown. Wow. Breakdown demo, it changed my life, man, growing up. I am. You know, so Outburst demo came out. Then Leeway had the sampler for Born to Expire out. Okay. um, You know, no one had the album out. The album wasn't out yet, but we all knew it, right? And we went down to see them at the Old Ritz, and they opened up with fucking Born to to Expire. Uh And that fucking place was packed out, like 1,500 people. I'm this little fucking guy who snuck into the show right in the middle of the fucking pit, right? With one of my best friends who passed away, Eric Felici. And I'm fucking grabbing the dude. I'm like, this is it. This is the fucking song. This is it. Born to expire. Fucking rise and fall. They fucking played first song. And I got pushed from the fucking front of that club all the way to the back through 1,500 people, all the way to the back. In about fucking 10 seconds, bro. Yeah. I couldn't believe how fucking far they pushed me back. And then I fucking went running back in there, man. And that was it. it was, 
I fucking fell in love with hardcore music and loving it. And yeah. then I was at CBGB's every fucking weekend, man. Nice. And like I said, that when I got my hands on the breakdown demo, that shit fucking, it was like, it, it meant everything to me. The lyrics, the music, I just fucking, I just love that shit. But the number one band at CBGB's at that time, to me, was Shia Tara without a fucking... Oh, dude. Shia Tara put out a couple demos. They put out, I think, two or three demos, man. And we were fucking dying for those motherfuckers to get signed, to get the album out. Dying, man. And there was nothing, nothing at CBGB's, Jimmy, like the Shia Tara pit. The oh. Shia Tara pit was fucking unbelievable. I'm talking, you know, very early, I mean, very late 80s, Shia Tara, everyone was fucking going ballistic. And I was like this little kid. And I remember uh, jumping into the pit and then Chris Wynn from In Effect Magazine, he's like, Chris, you're fucking crazy going in there. You're this little fucking guy. You got fucking balls of steel. I'm like, fucking Shia Tara, man. It's fucking Shia Tara. So. One One of my favorite bands ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hands down. Because of that old grimy shit, like that old fashion fighter and all that. And the Roman shit. Oh, my God. Kills it, man. They fucking kill it, man. Paul Barra, the sweetest guy you ever met before in your life. Absolutely. The heaviest vocal you ever heard in your life, man. Yeah. What a fucking great guy that guy is, man. His lyrics are ridiculous. It's like even like that Joe Coffey stuff he did. Dude. And he, he's, he's like, if you really look at it, if you read them, half of the songs are love songs. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And just he, the way he delivers it and his words, unbelievable, dude. He had the crew together then, too, man, because he was, he was the singer and fucking Blake was the guitarist from fucking hell with the... I mean, that fucking guy's sound on stage was fucking evil, pure fucking evil. Jason was the drummer, and he was a fucking master back there. I mean, and the bass player, I'm not really sure his name. They just, all four of them just fucking clicked up there. It was like a fucking perfect combination, man. And we fucking, we fucking went sick for those motherfuckers. (laughs) um, Around that time, I was getting into way too much trouble in the story. Gotcha. So my my mother, who well, my father left. He left in like the seventies and stuff. So my mother, God bless her, raised us, and she raised us, you know, as a single mom by herself, and she raised us with love and historia. And God bless her, because she really took the best care of us. She worked all day, you know. She came home with grocery bags, she cooked dinner for us every night. But um, like I said, those streets are crazy over there. You know, I was. A, crazy, crazy motherfucking kid. They called me the wild child, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I got into too much trouble over there. So she moved us out to this place called College Point. Okay. Have you ever heard of that place? It's I have. College Point. And then, you know, I was like this long hair kid. I was really into, into metal. Before metal became like too played out and fucking uh, and shitty. Yeah. I was really into metal. Like, my favorite band was Exodus. I know. Some of that Exodus shit is fucking, I'll, I'll listen every now and then still. There was this album, there, I think that first album is called Bonded by Blood. Yeah, of course. Paul Baylor. My, my favorite song was this song called Piranha. Insane. 
they have this fucking picking style in Piranha that is fucking sick. I love, I, I love that. That song was produced by James Hetfield. Oh yeah, yeah. Fuck. So, I had um, an Exodus shirt on. I really didn't know anyone in the neighborhood, you know. With the bonded by blood, there's like Siamese twins, you know, a good and evil one. So I had the shirt on, and this little fucking kid hangs out the window. He says, "Yeah, you like Exodus?" I'm like, "Yeah, I like Exodus." He's like. What's the first song on the side B of the album, right? And I said, that's fucking Piranha. That's my favorite song. Nice. So that kid turned out to be Chris Wynn from In Effect Magazine. Oh, nice. Shout out yeah. to Chris Wynn. Yeah, definitely. Great fucking guy, man. Yeah, dude. And, you know, slowly but surely, I met all the kids in the neighborhood and stuff like that. And then I was jamming in some basement, you know, one day with some, with some kids. And then the singer from Fit of Anger walked in there. And he's like, yo, I heard you like hardcore. I'm like, yeah, I like hardcore. And he's like, play me something. So I played No <laughs> Function on the bass, you know? That's a fucking great song. Chromatics, great band. Of course. And, uh, played Malfunction on the bass. He's like, yo, I want you as my bass player, man. So that's how, and the band was called In a Rage, actually. Okay. And the, the bass player just left from, from In a Rage. And that's how I met Nikki. And then we formed a band called In a Rage. So. Uh- from in a rage, you know, one day we're all hanging out on Nikki's porch, and then Chris Wynn comes out of the house. He's like, "Yo, man, I just had a fight with my mom. It's all crazy in the house. I slammed the cabinets in a fit of anger, and then, uh, you know, I'm like, whoa, 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 fit of anger. What? That's a fucking good name for a band. Nice. And that's how we started, and we call ourselves Fit of Anger. That's we're really awesome. Young, pretty young, 14, 15 years old. Yeah, man, I was. I was going, there's a fit of anger, page from page, and I'm looking around in your pictures trying to make a flyer and putting like a whole collage that I wanted to incorporate as much as oh, I can. Motherfucker, you killed that collage. You Thanks. killed it, bro. Was, that was, was awesome. Thank I you. Was trying Thank to you. incorporate, like, I mean, there was, there was other things I could have added, but then it would have been too much and you wouldn't be able to see. So I was trying to incorporate like, the you know, the, the four times you played Black and Blue, three with EGH, one with Fit of Anger, and Another few, like there's this, there's a sheer terror thing in there and, and all the EGH records and the fit of anger demos. So I was looking around, and there's some pictures where you, you're like 15, playing 14, 15, playing C, but you have a red bass. I'm like, look at this kid, he's tiny. Yeah. I was 15 years old, but I was pretending to be 16. Oh, you know, you had to be 16 to get close. And CBGBs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I used to. Yeah, I used to sneak in the back door of CBGB's a lot because I was too young. But they all knew me, and they, you know, they smuggled me in. They would smuggle yeah. me in. Yeah, they would smuggle me in wetlands, smuggle me in pyramid, because there, the scene is, you know, it's a family, bro. It really is a family. It's a family thing. It's a family affair, and right. we all took care of each other. You know, we're we're all not out there trying to kill each other. You know, we, there's so much good in the scene. So many good people, man. There is. Oh. Crazy. So, so that's how fit of anger, you know, I think a while back, you might have been messaging on, on Facebook or something. This is a while back. But when I moved out of Brooklyn, I, we moved to Howard Beach. And I wound up going to high school in Ozone Park. And there was so many guidos from Howard Beach. You know what I mean? But then there was the, the group, I don't know why, but they used to call the like the metalheads Woodies. I don't know why. 
but I would gravitate towards all the metalhead kids. And there was one day, there was like these steps on the building, like across the street from the school. I was hanging out with a bunch of people and somebody had said something. And there was a couple of kids that we didn't know. And he was like, somebody was like, oh yeah, that's the singer for Fit of Anger. I remember this like it was yesterday. And this is, dude, we're talking uh, 19, I don't know, in 90 maybe, something like that, 91, some shit like that. So I had asked you like what his name was because I met him briefly, but I didn't know him. What a good guy, man. What a good guy. Nick Cirillo is his name. Okay. And, uh, we call him Grandpa because he had like this little grandpa car. Okay. We had drive the grandpa car around and we called Nick Cirillo Grandpa and Heart of Gold. But sweet, wonderful guy. Sweet guy, man. Yeah. So we, we, all, we all set out, man. And a uh, fit of anger, we got the name. And we found a drummer, uh, Todd Lung, awesome guy, freaking and Al Kuz on guitar, awesome guy. And all four of us dedicated ourselves to that fucking band and that music. Todd Lung's parents were, were golden. And like, there was families in College Point, like uh, the Lung family, the Yan family, the Doty family, the McMillan family. Like, they took me into their house and they just made me part of the, their, their whole family, man. They made me an extra son. That's you know, right. and, and Todd's family was like that too. And um, they let us practice in their basement. And we would practice, you know, four or five times a week, you know. And we were really, really dedicated to our instruments. And we really wanted to play CBGBs, like fucking anything. But we were still, you know, we we're very young. Yeah. And um, Nick Cirillo that we just mentioned, the singer from Fit of Anger, he had a best friend. He went to Holy Cross High School. But his best friend was Tom Daly. And Tom Daly was a skinhead from um, Woodside, Queens. Okay. From Woodside. But, um, and Tom Daly was in a band called Stan Proud. So Fit of Anger and Stan Proud became brother bands. Gotcha. And what we used to do is we used to go, you know, rent a studio out in Woodside, uh, the underground studio out there, or they would rent the studio in... College Point, Monkey Hill Studio was there. And then Stan Proud and Fit of Anger used to have little parties and we used to go to different studios and we used to practice together. And then we went out to Manhattan and Giant Studios. And that's how, you know, we went around and um, we would just jam at different studios and have fun, man, just with the music, you know, yeah. jumping off the walls and having real brotherhood, you know, with, with one another. Yeah, you put out a couple of demos and you wound up on the New Breed compilation, no? Definitely, definitely. That was, that was a little later on. But um, we, one day we're, we're, we're hanging out, you know, and we were skinheads from College Point, Queens. There was like four or five of us. And then we knew skinheads from Flushing, like, you know, like I said, four or five of us. And some skinheads from Woodside, Tom Daly and the boys, you know four or five of us out there. And there was a guy, his name was John Bowles. And John Bowles uh, passed away. Uh, John Bowles uh, had a ska band. We called him the Ska King. And John Bowles actually had a song called Doc Martin Stomp, which DMS got the name DMS from Doc Martin Stomp, John's song. And we heard from, you know, the Woodside guys that there was... Um, there was a skinhead in Jackson Heights who, who got jumped and shit. And 
you know, I think it was some something racial behind that, but we really didn't give a fuck. So we all moms, you know, we got our flushing guys, we got our woodside guys, and we went out to Jackson Heights, Queens, out to the schoolyard over there. And then we met all the DMS guys out there. You know, we met Jeer, we met Cheeky, uh, we met uh, Skin, Skinhead George, which you guys know him as Jorge from Aurora, you know, and we were all fucking, we were all just mossing up, man. There was a lot of us, and we, we were going out to fuck some people up, man, that jumped this guy, Sid, that, um, so we were like, fuck it, man. So we went out to this different park, we found the kids, we beat the living shit out of the kids, you know, and then we all went back to the schoolyard, and we're like, what the fuck do we do now? And they're like, Yo, Bernardo, let's go steal some beer. So I'm like the guy who always goes into the stores and steals cases of beers and goes running out with it. So I fucking, I stole the case, some cases of beers. We went out in the schoolyard. And then that night we fucking became family, man. There was a band over there called Impact. Okay. So, uh, Randy was singing for Impact and uh, Army Joe. And um, so we became brother bands, man, all three of us. It was Fit of Anger. Impact, stand proud. And we used to fucking just party down at different places. Fit of Anger's uh, first show was like a sweet 16 party in Jackson Heights. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Impact and uh, stand proud, you know. And we just all became brothers. And, you know, we all met up at CBGB's all the time, hung out. Fit of Anger released our, our demo tape at that time. It was like, uh, 88. I think we recorded it uh, December 87, but released it in 88. And then I used to sell it outside of CBGB's all the time. And people were fucking into it, man. They liked it. They yeah. really liked it. You know, I went to Urban Plaza, the Ritz, selling my demo, selling my demo, you know, uh, speed, speed recording them, speed recording them. Yeah, man. And then around that time, that's when uh, In Effect magazine started up. Chris Wynn wanted to do the In Effect magazine. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. That's awesome. Uh, heard of course. Magazine. Absolutely. Yeah. So then he asked me to do the artwork for the first magazine. Do you have a copy of it? Yeah, I do. Nice. Good stuff. Oh, it's right there. That's, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. So that's, that's the first In Effect magazine right there. Number wow, one. look at that. Right. I'm glad I'm glad that you have a copy. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And um it, it was awesome, man. Outburst, Leeway, Yon, All for One. Those are those are the bands at the time that were that were in the magazine. And this is all cut out from Mad Magazine. I don't know if you know Mad Magazine. Of course, yeah. My favorite, bro. Don Martin was like my favorite freaking artist and the Spy vs. Spy stuff in there. I love that artwork. So I cut out all this little Mad Magazine stuff behind there. I did some graffiti on top. And it's all cut out stuff and then all, all printed, printed yeah. stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. So he wanted to do the In Effect magazine. He asked me if he, uh, if he could borrow my sister's typewriter. <laughs> then... I gave him, like, my sister had this cool little typewriter. We, get, we gave him the typewriter. He typed out all the In Effect. And my mother actually took the In Effect magazine and she took it to her job and she photocopied it at her job. That's awesome. Along with the Fit of Anger demo tape, my mother went and did the copies for us at her job. 
And we used to high speed dub all the tapes and stuff like that and make them all ourselves. Yeah. And first, uh, In Effect Magazine was phenomenal. He did a great job with that. Yeah, shout out to Chris Wynn, man. Good dude. Absolutely good dude. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Man. Shit, so, man. You put, out, you put out two demos, right? Two demos with Fit of Anger? I put out only one. I okay. Put out one demo with Fit of Anger. And then uh, my brother joined the band. My brother was in a band called Show Force at the time. Okay. And they broke up. And my brother's a phenomenally talented guy. And uh, I, I brought him into Fit of Anger. But when I brought him into Fit of Anger, uh, Fit of Anger became a little too metal for me. Like, um, you know, when you have, I don't know if you know, like guitarists, they have distortion pedals. We all used distortion pedals at the time. Yeah. And sometimes they would, you know, you step on distortion pedal, put it on, step on it, take it off. Yeah. And they took it off and had a clean sound and then put it back on and had the heavy sound. Now, that was like a little too metal for me. Gotcha. You know, I wasn't really into that. Like, there was uh, Exodus Bonded by Blood. Let me just give you an example. Like, Exodus Bonded by Blood, freaking awesome album. You know, Exodus and uh, Slayer, all those metal bands, they, they were really fucking heavy bands. But then the stick, you know, all the metalheads, they became with this moshing thing that they did. You know, us at CBGBs, we were the first ones to do the stage diving. Yeah. Stage diving, slam dancing, two-stepping. You know, I got to get more into that because that is so freaking important in the story. But metalheads started to, like, run in each other face first and doing all this freaking stupid things. Like the the, the, the whole running shoulder block mosh thing. Yeah, yeah. it's really stupid. And then um, yeah, I can't out this album. It's called, like, Toxic Waltz. And, you know, bang your friend's head against the wall and shit like that. And I'm like, I'm not into that shit at all, you know? And like, that's fucking, you know, it's just not my scene, man. I like two-stepping. I like hardcore. You know, I love stage diving. Yeah. And, um, but this running into each other face first and this metal, that's yeah. just fucking stupid shit to me, you know? It's annoying, dude. It's annoying to me at this point. It's so yeah. annoying. Yeah, you know, if they're having fun with it, you know, God bless them, man. Yeah. You know, it's his own, but it just wasn't my thing. That's that's not my thing. Right. And um, that's where Fit of Anger was going into those lines, you know. And as much as I love that band and I love the music, you know, I was hardcore. So I had to step away from that. You know, I stepped away. I quit the band. And my best friend, John Bowles, you know, he took my place. And gotcha. he recorded that second demo with gotcha. Fit of Anger. And that was more, you know, more metal on the metal side. Mm -hmm. But um, me, I was, I was just, I was actually left out there. And uh, that time in my life, I, I actually went fucking nuts, really nuts with graffiti, really yeah. fucking nuts. Because um, I thought uh, Chris Wynn and me actually were going to do, you know, I was going to do the artwork, and then he was going to do the magazine. So. That would be something I could fall back on, but Chris decided to get different artists to do the magazine too. So I was actually out there on my own, you know? I quit my band. I, uh, I loved graffiti, but I think I loved graffiti a little too much, man, because I fucking just went right into graffiti and right into all the gangs and stuff like that. And 
I loved it, man. I went out every night on a mission. I used to write my name at least a hundred times a day. Now, now, now. And I just fuck freaking fell in love with it. But uh, the guys I rolled with, the DWS crew, you know, there was four of us. There was Zep. I don't know if you ever heard of him. I've heard of him. Zep, Case, Pose, and Now. There was four of us. And we freaking went out all over. You know, we went all city with it. And um, it was just, they were getting into a lot of trouble, you know. I got, you know, it's a lot of trouble over there. And um, they all got locked up. And I was left out there alone. And, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't give up on my base, you know. Still, you know, I and hardcore, you know, I went out to all the shows. Like I said, breakdowns, demo tape, the, the lyrics were in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah. And really, you know, I wanted to start another band, but I, I didn't I didn't really find the right people. I know Freddie Alva, yeah. New Breed, you know, uh, we did the New Breed demo uh, for him back in the day. You know, he got all these bands together, did an awesome compilation, an awesome guy Freddie Alva is. And he asked me to play with his band called The Last Cause, just to fill in. Yeah. So I filled in with The Last Cause for a little bit. I learned their songs. And then we went down to a famous studio in Manhattan called Don Fury's. Of course. And uh, we recorded a demo tape with them over there. But, I, you know, I was, I was just filling in for them. I wasn't in a band yet. Sure. I was just out there, you know, causing trouble doing mad graffiti, racking up like crazy, you know, hanging out with the wrong guys. And, you know, and at that time, um, I used to go crazy. I mean, crazy in the pit, go sick. Yeah. And then all of a sudden my heart rate gym would get to like a hundred times greater than anyone else's. And I used to have to go to the bathroom, run down to the bathroom and see the GB's puke. I used to puke and foam up this white stuff. I used to have these crazy seizures going on. Really? Dancing hard? I, I didn't know what it was. I thought, you know, I was just overexerting myself in the pit, you know. Yeah. But then it started, it happened a lot, a lot, a lot. And then um, one day, you know, I had a car. I had like a little Chrysler Baron. I cut the springs in it. I made it a low rider type of car. And then I, uh, I picked, uh, I was going through a green light, you know, all of a sudden I'm going down the hill right through a green light, a fucking cop car, blast right through a red light, boom, smashes the shit out of me. And uh, my ex-girlfriend was in the car with me, poor her, she, she got a broken jaw, she had a big gash in her, you know, I jump out of the fucking car, I'm like, who the fuck is driving this car, motherfucker? You know, I'm going fucking crazy. They are... Uh, they restrain me and stuff like that. They take me to the hospital. And at the hospital, I found out I had a fucking tumor on my heart. And it was attached to my adrenal glands. And it was the size of a fist. No shit. And it used to pump stuff into my body to make my heart rate 10 times greater than anyone's in the world. Right? So that's... And... When I used to get hyped up, I used to get fucking hyped up, you know? I used to go fucking nuts. I've, I've seen you hyped up. Whoa. And it was this stuff pumping into my adrenal glands, pumping into my body, pumping me up like crazy, making me, you know, 
had these seizures, have grown up and stuff like that, getting right back there, getting right back into the pit and stuff like that. But um, I found out after that car accident that I, uh, they had to remove it. I had a 50-50 chance living or dying. Really? No yeah. Shit. Yeah. And that thing, uh, it woke me up, man. It really woke me up. And um, I, ha- I had to say to myself, yo, I'm doing a lot of crazy fucking shit, man. And then um, I went to the hospital and I, I, they had to take out two of my ribs to get into it because I was young and they didn't want to cut me down the chest. Right. So it was like at the end of fit of anger, at the end of in effect. And then um, they, cut, they cut out the tumor and then I got like a second chance on life, bro. It was like, I could overexert myself now and my heart wasn't pounding like crazy anymore. <laughs> yeah. I had to go crazy and you know. You'll be all right. It was like an athlete uh, erupted anatomy, man. It was, <laughs> it was a great feeling, man. And it's like God gave me a second chance over here, man. Yeah. It was so fucking cool. And then, um, in effect, asked me to do uh, a magazine cover, number four. Nice. So I was, uh, I did this. This is right when I got out of the hospital. I don't know. Can you see that? Absolutely. Yeah, I can see it. Sure. Dope. That's in effect number four. When I just got out of the hospital for my tumor operation, I was, and I was a stubborn fucking guy too. They wanted to give me some rehabilitation and shit like that. I was like, fuck that rehabilitation. I'm not doing no fucking rehabilitation. There was a line on the wall, Jimmy. It was on the bottom of the wall. I had to teach myself how to walk again. I fucking went from the bottom of that fucking line and I fucking raised myself up and up and up and up and up until I walked again myself. I had like 60 something fucking staples in my side. I cut one from here all the way up my, my fucking whole side and shit like that. And um, I, I, I did, was doing in effect number four cover and then the fucking Chromax had a fucking reunion show at the wetlands, bro. And I couldn't fucking miss it, man, for anything. I had, I was fucking right out of the hospital. I had to fucking go to the wetlands and see the Chromax reunion, man. And then when I went there, my fucking boy, John Bowles, he was awesome, man. But he fucking went like this, right? Yo, Chris, what's up? Boom, right to my sides. I was like, oh, motherfucker. Sides, my fucking staples and shit, man. But, you know, what a fucking great reunion show. Chromax, what a great fucking band, man. Oh, ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. So, in effect, number four was done. And, you know, I had an apartment back then, too. And I wrote, like, this uh, Everybody Gets Hurt song, No Asylum. Sure. I, I don't know if you know that one, but... Of course, I know, I know all the EGH stuff, too. Yeah. So, that was... Right out of the hospital, I wrote that song. You know, I didn't have a band. I was just there on my own. And I knew I had to fucking change my shit, man. I fucking was getting into way too much fucking trouble with the, with the graffiti and those guys and shit. So and, um, I went to a party, right? And Mike Dijon, which is a, a one, one of a kind guy, man. Such an incredible, loving, respectful guy. And Mike was at the, 
at the party and he said, yo, I got this band. It's called Everybody Gets Hurt. <laughs> what? I was like, yeah, I want, you know, our bass player, which was a phenomenal bass player, his name was Muggsy. Muggsy played the bass upside down. He played with the, the heavy string on the bottom, the E string, and the light string on top. He played like reverse, and he was like a phenomenal genius. He wrote these songs, and they had this band called Everybody Gets Hurt. But Muggsy left the band. And he asked me if I wanted to come down to Woodside to a studio under there called Underground and play in this band called Everybody Gets Hurt. With, yeah. With, I was like, fuck yeah, man. I'm dying to fucking get in a new band, you know? Yeah. So I, it, this is about 91. And we got to go a little bit back into CBGBs for this one. Okay. All right. CB, CBGBs matinees were fucking incredible. Like I said, man, family, fucking sticking together, hanging out, fucking after parties, all that, man. We were just brotherhood, man. We were a tight. And um, there were just some kids in the scene, man. They were fucking re retards, man. They yeah. were going out and they were taking hammers and bringing hammers into the pits, chains and fucking bringing chains in the fucking pit, throwing shit around, fucking bullshit like that, man. Yeah. And they had so many fucking friends with them that they were jumping people and shit. It's bullshit. You know, this is supposed to be family. This is not supposed to be out there fucking jumping people. You want to do some shit, go outside one-on-one -on -one and fucking get it done, right. you know? So these, needless to say, these people closed down the CBGB's matinees. Yeah. CBGB's matinees at 91, 92 was dead. There was fucking nothing going on really at, in the city. We had the Pyramid Club, which was, you know, I know War Deal played there a lot at the time, which yeah. they, they later became Killing Time. Right. Outburst. I, um, there was another place called Lismore Lounge. Okay. Yeah, I break down um, hardcore into generations, and maybe we can get into that later, but this was like second generation, going into like the third generation. And second generation CBGB's matinees closed on us. We were fucked. We were fucked for shows, bro. No one wanted to play hardcore shows because, like I said, these fucking assholes were running around the scene, man. So I go to the studio with these guys called Everybody Gets Hurt. And it's this freaking raw motherfucker on, on the lyrics. <laughs> His name is Gene McCormick. And he's a really good friend of Paul Barra. And okay. he's got a lot of fucking lyrics and a lot of heavy shit like fucking Paul Barra. His lyrics were fucking from the heart and they were right from the gutters of Manhattan. He was a story guy. And uh, his lyrics fucking hit the shit out of me, man. And that band was fucking phenomenal. Phenomenal. But we didn't have a place to play. Like I said, all, all the shows were all shut down, man, by then. So we would have to go out of state and play shows, like in Albany. You know, we went out to Albany, and uh, Gene was calling all the fans out there, Albanians. Yeah, of Albanians! You uh, Albanians! Yeah. It drove the band under because there was just no fucking places to play. You know, right. Mike, Mike DeJean quit the band. We, I tried to stay with them, but it folded, man. And um, and it 
a little bit back more uh, in junior high school, I met uh, Rob Collins. I fucking love Rob. I miss that dude. Oh, about the Rob. I fucking love that dude. We'll get into it. <laughs> yeah, man. Rob is one of my favorite fucking people, man. Right. Sweet guy. Sweet, sweet guy, man. Yeah. Sweet guy. So, so, you met, met, so you met him? I met him in junior high school. Okay. That was around the bit of anger time. I met him, man. And I was, I was crazy, though. I was really seriously crazy in junior high school. Mm. I remember one time I cut out of school and I grabbed a six-pack of beer. I, I was like, what, what am I, where am I going to go with this? So me and my friend, we climbed up on the school roof, right? But we, we threw our books in a bush on the, on the floor, uh, on, the, on the ground, and we climbed up this whole side of the school and we're on the roof with some freaking beers and shit hanging out up there. Uh-huh. And then um, when we got up there, my hands got all full of tar, right? Uh-huh. All full of tar. I'm sitting up there drinking beer, and then all of a sudden, I see some teacher walking down on the street with our books. I'm like, yo, I yell at him from, this, from the rooftop too. I'm like, yo, those are my books, right? So then I jump off the roof and then I get up to him. I'm like, yo, give me back my books. And he's like, oh, you'll get them in the principal's office. And he has a <laughs> shirt on, some button up, and he turns around. I'm like, yo, bring this to the principal's office. And I took my hands off all the tar right down his back, bro. <laughs> and then, uh, but I was crazy like that anyway. So I met Rob Cullen in junior high school. And the next time I saw him, I was with all my graffiti friends, the DWS crew, and we were actually rolling up. We had uh, some beef on Whitestone, and we rolled up a lot. We had a lot of gang fights growing up, a lot. And at this, this one, I had about 13 carloads with me. So we had a lot of people. And I told all the guys, I'm like, yo, take your shirts off so we know who we are and we know who they are. So everyone fucking took their shirts off. And we all start fucking running up to this fucking schoolyard and then fucking kill some people. And there's Rob Cullen standing there with like four of his metalhead friends and shit. And then all these people fucking surround him and shit. And I'm like, yo, not him, not this guy. This guy can go. And then Rob Cullen just fucking goes and then we fucking destroy everything in the whole fucking place. But um, a, a, little, a little while after the original Everybody Gets Her Folded, Outburst asked me, um, they had some reunion shows going on, and they asked me to, uh, to fill in for them because their singer at the time was going through a little trouble, you know, poor guy. And um, we did some shows. We did uh, Wetlands, and we did a CBGB show. And Outburst at the time, uh, I, if I could get back into them, fucking phenomenal band. Sure. Fucking phenomenal. George DeRico and JR, the two guitarists, were fucking perfectly matched, man. Perfectly matched. So dedicated to their instruments. And they played off each other so well. Their live sets were freaking intense, man. Intense. Yeah. And I, you know, I was very, very fortunate to, to go to see them live, especially in the beginning. And, and when they asked me to fill in for them, I was very honored to. Sure. 
very, very honored. So we played, we played a show at the Wetlands first. And then I, uh, I know I jumped off the stage at the Wetlands. I was so fucking hyped up. And I smashed my whole fucking side of my, my head open. And I was just full of blood. And the crowd and the people, they just didn't care, man. They were just up on stage with me. And they were, you know, they were just singing right along. They didn't care about all the blood and shit. Wow. So fucking, so cool. So when we played the Wetlands, that's when Rob Cullen came up to me and he said, yo, you got a big nose. I got a big nose. We could be the in the hardcore scene. Why don't we start a band together? And that's that's how me and him got together for the bands. That's so yeah. I, I, I can hear him saying that too. That's amazing. He said, "Yo, I know you're you're singing for outburst right now, but you're not a singer, man. You're a bass player. <laughs> I know you're a bass player." Mm-hmm. At the wetlands, when I was singing, well, filling in for outburst, that's when that's when he approached me. Nice, a freaking crazy union, fucking awesome union, right there. Me and him. Yeah, man. Fucking, and then and then I mean, you went on to create this. I what this the second version of EGH. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he knew about Everybody Gets Hurt. He knew the name. Yeah. And uh, Rob said, you know, I know about Fit of Anger. I know about Everybody Gets Hurt. And that name is fucking phenomenal, man. Yeah. You can use that name. And I said, ah, let me ask Gene, you know, the original singer I was telling you about, and see if he could give us the name. And then Gene was... Like, heart of gold, heart of gold. And he said, yeah, Chris, go for it, man. Take the name, go for it. Yeah. Oh, we got our name. Everybody gets hurt. Sick. Sick. Uh, you want to hear something sick, though? Of course. CBGBs, like I said, Shitara was fucking phenomenal. They were the band, man. The pit was fucking off the walls. And that scene, that CBGB scene, if we want... If I'm, you know, trying to take us back there now, because it's worth a lot of talk about what's going on there. The scene was fucking, it was cool as hell. There was punk rock kids there. There was metalhead kids there. You know, it was, and from the time 85 to, you know, 86, 87, you know, it was just brotherhood, man. You know, we're all together. We're all having fun. And Sheer Terror, we're fucking dying, dying for them to have a fucking album out already, man. Yeah. Their sound is brutal live. They're throwing out the demo tapes. The demo tapes sound, you know, the songs are great, but this demo tape sounds like shit. We want the fucking album. Sure. So I hear that they're fucking having that, they're getting signed by Starving Missiles Record Company, which is out of Germany. And we're like, fuck it, thank God, Sheer Terror. Finally getting signed. Motherfuckers, man. Yeah, only a fucking German label will put them out. Only a German label will have the balls to put those motherfuckers out. Yeah. Then I get a fucking call at home because my demo tape had my phone number on it. I get a call from Hilly at CBGB's and he asks me if I want to fucking play Sheer Terror's record release party at CBGB's with them. I said, fucking hell yeah. Well, fuck yeah. Bit of anger in that fucking show, man. 
fucking unbelievable. I did some crazy fucking flyer for that show too, man. <laughs> fucking unbelievable, man. What, what a fucking day. What a fucking day. I bought the, the first copy of that fucking record, hot off the presses, red vinyl, just can't hate enough. Oh, ridiculous. I can't say enough about that masterpiece, man. Oh, it's, it's, it's fucking it's, masterpiece. Masterpiece. Definitely. Without a doubt, man. Hands down. Fucking thank you to Paul. Thank you to Blake. Thank you to all those guys who fucking, you know, in shit tower who put that out for us, man. What a fucking great piece of work. Yeah. What a great, great fucking album, man. Right from the heart, man. Yeah. That kills. Every song kills. Yeah, still to this day. It's still relevant. It's still ridiculous. It aged. It's timeless. It's one of those timeless records. Yeah. So going back a little bit to CBGBs and what was going on there, it's a second generation. You know, I say first generation is like the A7 scene. Sure. That wasn't me. I I never made it to the A7 scene. I was a little way too young for that. But I did make it to the second generation, which which was CBGB scene. And CBGBs, you know, like a, a lot of kids I grew up with, like AJ Novello, which is an absolutely phenomenal guy with a huge heart of gold, so fucking down to earth and such good, good fucking people, man. You know, he called me like the last of the old school. You know, which is not really true because I, like I said, I'm second generation, you know, I'm CBG generation. But, you know, he's just everything to me, man, because dedicated, heart of gold, treats you like his fucking brother, like his family, never turns his back on you. Awesome guy. So we're going through CBGBs. We have a show there every weekend, every Sunday, you know, and it's $5 to get in. Of course. Five bucks, you get in there. Now, and half of us got in there free because, like I said, it's family, and Brent, Brendan is at the door fucking hustling us all in there. Right. Uh, Wetlands, too. Lance is at Wetlands in the back door hustling us all in there, too. Yeah. So all at these freaking shows, getting in for free. But like I said, some knuckleheads are out there swinging hammers, jumping people, swinging chains in the pits. And the mentality that I shifted, man, real shifted and real weak yeah quality was you know if you had long hair and if you were wearing doc martens you would get beat up and they'd steal your doc martens i remember that whole time frame it, it what just wasn't right man it would happen a lot of lamores too yeah it would happen a lot of lamores a lot a lot of kids didn't want to go to certain shows because they were legit scared some kids you know what yeah. i mean some kids with long hair like I think I said this recently on, on, I don't remember who I was talking with, but it's like early days of like biohazard. Like there might be some like metalhead kid because they, because they appealed to everybody. So it's like, I want to go see biohazard, but I have long, and not me, but you know, I have long hair. So if I go there, I might get the shit kicked out of me because I just want to check out the band and I have long hair. So it was a fucked up time. Yeah. It was and phenomenal band. I played with those guys when their demo tape was just out. You know, we played. I, I found it. It, was, it was a flyer I saw. It was like a veterans thing at Animal Hall. What a great club! What a great. I was, club. I was only there once, and I was young, man. I was very young, so I really couldn't do anything about all this freaking stupid violence then, right? But Animal Hall, we played a show with Biohazard, and the Rogue Rogue. 
the rogue animals, the rogue animals, they ran the club and they let us all in there to have a show, right? Yep. It's a POW MIA benefit show. And these guys were down to earth, so nice. And they were speaking to everyone, you know, on the we're all on the same level. We're having a great show, a great fucking time together, man, with the, with the rogue animals, man. And they start, you know, we're a fit of bangers playing. They got fucking motorcycles in the pit, three of them going around in a circle in the pit. Crazy. People are slamming, jumping off the walls. And then I see a chopper go down in the middle of the pit. I'm like, oh shit, we're going to fight, man. It's fucking crazy. It's on now. And the dude just picked up the fucking chopper and just went right back, you know, going around. It was fucking a family atmosphere. Yeah. It was fucking great. Yeah. You know? Great. And that's the way it should have been. And I was too young to do anything about it. But the punk rock kids left the scene because they were getting beat up all the time. You know, the metalhead kids, you know, who cares what they have? You know, hardcore music is based on doing something different, doing right. something original, you know? Different kids coming together, doing something different. We came up with the stage guy, you know? We came up with two-step. We came up with different stuff. And back then, the mentality was, you know, I'm talking about 85, 86, 87. You know, it was cool. We were all together doing something different. And then they all said, um, you know, there's no kicks in the pit. It, what do you, uh, they used to say, you can't throw a kick in the pit. What are you, a ballerina? They used to call you a ballerina. Oh, God. Like, no, fuck that, man. We're trying to fucking elevate this shit. So. Right. The first person I ever saw kick in the pit was Malta the Damager. And it was at the war zone at CBGB's. And the motherfucker is about six foot nine. Oh, I know. He's a huge fucking beast of a guy. He threw me on his, he threw me on his shoulder, one shoulder, and ran me around the Bowery Electric the last time I saw you guys open the Eddie Leeway show. Yeah, he's a beast. His fucking neck is like the size of a tree. And we're in war zone. I'm fucking doing my two-step. All of a sudden, I see that motherfucker kicking like these fucking giant kicks coming the opposite way of the stage right through the whole fucking pit. First motherfucker ever to kick in the pit was Morgan Damager. And his, his legs are 14 feet long. Huge. He's huge. <laughs> but all that mentality, you know, doing the hammers in the pit, doing the chains in the pit, beating up the punk rock kids, beating up um, kids who have long hair with Doc Martens on. That was bullshit mentality, man. That's what fucking closed down CBGBs. That's what fucking knocked us all for a fucking loop, man. And that shit um, stopped. It, it killed the second generation of hardcore, actually. That killed the second generation of hardcore. Uh, yeah. So now, so now I gotta ask you. Let's let's go into everybody gets hurt, bro. Second second version because I gotta talk. Everybody gets hurt, man. Oh fuck. Okay, so now Rob Cullen, yes, and me decide to do it. Right? Yeah. Um, he says, "Yo, I got this fucking awesome guitarist. His name is Steve Pettit." Right. Steve, uh, used to play for uh, Demise, uh, Jackson Heights skinhead band. With, with Hoya? Yeah. 
Gotcha. So Steve now lived in uh, Whitestone, Queens. Okay. So then um, I'm like, okay, give me his number. So I, I go and get Steve's number, and then I bring over uh, two 40 ounces of beer, and I ring his bell, and I'm like, yo, are you Steve? I'm Chris, man. Rob, give me your number. You okay to bring some beers in here? He's like, yeah, it's okay to bring some beers in there. Right? So that's when me and Steve Pettit and Rob Cullen, us three, started our union. And it was a fucking awesome union. It was just us three. You know, Steve played guitar, I played the bass, Rob Cullen sang. And us three just practiced seven days a week at Steve's house. It was just me and Steve. Steve on the guitar, me on bass. Rob Cullen used to come in. The first song we ever wrote together was a song called The Hard Way. Okay. Recorded it. it was fucking awesome, though. But um, second song was No Asylum. Right. And that you wrote when you had 150 staples in your side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I had to tune it back because the way I write, bro, I'm like, just like Fit of Anger. Fit of Anger, I wrote like um, their best songs, like this song called Searching, I wrote the music for, this song called Bring Them Home, which is about POWs, MIA. I wrote all the music. And the way I write is very, very complicated, you know? So sometimes if I write like crazy shit, like 90% of everybody gets hurt is my music. I wrote it, maybe even 95%, you know? And sometimes I have to tone it back. So no asylum, I had to tone back a lot because he couldn't learn it. It was just too crazy. Yeah. So I remember sitting in a Steve's room with Rob and Rob said, yo, I got this song called Homefront NYC. And then he hummed it to me and I wrote that shit in like five minutes, bro. Nice. And we just jammed it and it was fucking... And Steve came up with that fucking breakdown part in there. Uh-huh. Fucking kill it, man. But we didn't have a drum, man. Right. We had, we had us three. We had a name, but we didn't have a fucking drummer, bro. Right. So it's <laughs> a pretty big part of the puzzle you need there. <laughs> yeah. So one day Rob Cohen goes to a 7-Eleven and he meets some dude at the counter. And he says, yo, his name is E-Rock. He plays the drums. And I'm like, all right, let's bring him in the band, E-Rock. So E-Rock came in the band. You know, we're trying to do this, this. We got, you know, we got some songs that we made. And we practiced, like, for seven days a week, bro. We're practicing. And we have, like, No Asylum. We have CCRB. We have Homefront. We have Days of the Future's Past. We have this other song called Hard Way. You know, we got some fucking hard shit. And that shit just... E-Rock, he, he fucking couldn't hang with it, man. <laughs> After a couple, a couple practices, he fucking couldn't do it, bro. And um, we knew we needed a drummer. And my brother had Cold Front at the time. Cold Front was a phenomenal band. Yeah, man. I don't know if you have that uh, CD, bro. I and have that CD. And it used to play, I mean, I'm fast forwarding, but when I was hanging out with, with, with the guys when Red Eye Devil was a thing and forming in the studio, I would go to the studio all the time in Whitestone and hang out with them, with Greg and, and everybody. And when, whenever they weren't playing, they would just press like whatever in the studio, like the stereo. And that cold front shit would be on 
constantly. Constantly. Fuck yeah. That's third generation. Yeah. That's the third generation. That's after CBGB's fucking, you know, they caught the tail end of that cold front. They played CBGB's, but that's when. Your internet. I can't hear you. Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear there me? you go. Yeah, now I can hear you. Yeah, you, you, your internet's like a little, goes in and out a little bit here and there, but your, your sound is mint. Your sound is good now. Okay. These things well, happen, kids. I asked a wonderful, amazing, phenomenal drummer, Lou Medina. Oh, come on. From Coldfront, from Breakdown, to play on our fucking demo, and he said yes, which was fucking crazy fucking incredible incredible because we had these songs and we never had a drummer so we didn't know what the fuck they sounded like really until we played with lou mm-hmm. and lou put it to fucking gather in the studio it was fucking magic man fucking magic and recording the demo was fucking great i mean we had slight practices with lou i don't know how many practices we had together but not too many but he was just right in the pocket, put the songs together. Then we went and we recorded our demo with Lou. Fucking phenomenal recording. I don't know if you ever heard our demo tape, man. But I'm not sure. I might have, but I'm not going to say I'm familiar with it, no. Fuck, man. We fucking killed it, bro. We fucking killed it. Nice. killed it. Mike DeJean produced it. Dean, we call him Dino Machino, he produced it. It was at Dean's studio in, um, I, thought, I think, 23rd Street or something like that in Manhattan. We went there, and those guys are fucking, Mike and Dean are very, very particular about their recording. Mm-hmm. They have a thing where you have to record it very low, they say, because you record very low so that you, if you could hear it low and it sounds good, that means it's going to sound good. And I yeah. said, and I went like this, I'm like, Fuck that. Everybody gets hurt. It's fucking, we get played to the max, man. Our shit gets fucking played loud. So I was like, I took the, the recording. I went up to the car with it. I fucking blasted it on, you know, 10. Yeah. We went back there, back and forth, and they did such a great, wonderful job for us, man. And we put out such a fucking strong-ass fucking demo. Everybody gets hurt. Demo fucking kills it. Yeah. Fucking yeah. kills it, bro. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you, 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 have, you have copies of that tape now? Yeah. Um, we put out a CD. It's called Demo Days. Well, yeah. But there's, but, there's, um, but there's a cassette tape that I saw. The cassette tape is, is badass, man. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You have a copy of that still. Artwork, yeah. I don't have it on. No, I don't have it here right now. You know, yeah. I could I could look through my book and find the uh nah, I'm gonna you want me to find it? I'll find it. We believe you, but you don't have to if you want to. I mean it's a hey, one sec, one sec, because I have books of fucking artwork here. I'm sure I have the uh, stuff. <laughs> okay. I have tons, tons of artwork. I know. I saw something. What did what, what did you do? Was it on I don't know whose wall. Maybe it was your daughter's wall. Did you do like a whole um, 
what is that where the wild things are painting i did man that's my son my son asked me to do that. okay i remember seeing you post that i'm like that's dope man yeah his whole room is a big jungle where the wild things are that's one of my uh one of my biggest influences is an artist named maurice sendak and he's the one who did uh, where the wild things are and this this is the everybody gets hurt thing sick there it is yeah yeah. And, and that's the backside of it. Nice. We also, we had a lyric sheet and um, the, there was so much artwork that it was just packed out of the, out of the CD. I mean, out of the cassette tape. The cassette tape was just packed full of artwork. Yeah. And that's what I wanted, man. You know, like I said, hardcore is an original type of music. There's nothing else like it in the world. And I wanted everything to be absolutely original to go with it, you know, to, sure. it, to try to complement it. That's why I did all the original artworks for all the flyers. I tried to give that originality back. To yeah, I mean, even even like all of the the splits that you did and the and the album covers, like Dog Seeds a Man, like the Demo Days cover, the Demo Days Japan version, which is a little different. Yeah. Yeah, it's all you. I know. It's exactly. I try to make everything original, man. To, to you know, embellish on the originality of hardcore. This is from uh, Everybody Gets Hurt, the original band. I don't know. If you see I, that. See, I see. I see. Yeah. Demo coming soon. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, we never recorded, man, with that first band. But um, yeah, back on track. We recorded our demo, and. What I did was I worked like crazy and any, any person that I got the address for, because I did tape trading ever since I was a kid, yep. tape traded with people all over America, yep. all over the world. Yep. I did some of that too when I was younger. Yep. Uh, I did tons of it. I got boxes and boxes full of, uh, of people, you know, that... We used to tape trade there and from their scene to our scene and get all the music. And I found every person's address, every address I could find, I would go to the post office with stacks of downloads, stacks, and just mail them all out for free. I mailed them to everyone all over the world for free. Every week I would go like uh, like religious, religiously. You know, I was just trying to get our name out there. Sure. And um it worked, man. It really worked. Yeah. You know, how long? How long after after you put out the demo did you go into the studio? Well, did you put out a split before you put out Dark Seeds of Man? Three seven inches we put out. Three seven inches. Yeah. Um, see, like like I said, we're group, we're all poor, so we're and I grew up very very poor, and we're trying. Um, Wait for a record deal. King Fisher from uh, Germany approached us with a record deal one time. And they're part of Century Media. And, you know, God bless them for that. But I, it just wasn't a, a right deal for us at the time. So I think from the demo to the CD took about, you know, six years or something like that. Right. But finally, what I did was I just saved my money saved all my fucking money and it's it's a long story to get us there 
but I saved all my money and I put it in the studio and I paid for it all myself. I paid for the pressing myself and, you know, just did it all DIY, 100%. Wow. And it's yeah. a fucking incredible record. Doxy Demand fucking rules, man. Thanks, bro. Thanks. Man. Yeah. That, that was heartfelt, man. That was very, very yeah, heartfelt. It sounds like it. You hear it. It's, it doesn't sound phony at all. It sounds absolutely heartfelt and from, from the heart. Absolutely. Yeah. I oh, have the wait list. What a fucking great fucking song, dude. It's banger of an album. Still is. Thanks, bro. Thanks. Of course, man. A lot of work. A lot of work went into that album. I practiced with those guys seven days a week. You know, we were very, very dedicated to the band. And some people just couldn't, you know, in the band just couldn't hang with all the shows and always practicing. And, you know, they they just, just couldn't do it. Right. You know, it was too much for them. But I was just like a driving force. I was a kid when, you know, I was little. All I wanted to do was play bass. All I wanted to do was be a musician. You know, and bass was my instrument choice. Sure. And um, I had a map on my wall, you know, and I had, you know, little thumbtacks in it for where I want to go. Sure. When I was a kid growing up, you know, we were poor, but we were raised with a lot of love. You know, I never went on vacation with my family or anything like that, you know. And um, these are just places I dreamed about going all, all over America. And later on in the story, you know, I could get into that, but you know, everything with everybody gets hurt. But that CD recording for everybody gets hurt was fucking phenomenal. We did it again with um, Mike DeJean and Dean, and we did it in Brooklyn, actually, at Dumbo. Okay. And um, we were all fucking so dedicated to the shit. And I knew Weightless in that song had to be number one in the album. I had to be the first song to kick it off, man. Second. I was trying to bring it to, you know, I was trying to bring hardcore where the Bad Brains left it. You know, Bad Brains took so many steps forward. You know, oh. they're, they're so innovative, you know, so incredible. And I felt like hardcore at the time, it was, um, it was lacking that. There was no originality in it anymore. You know, everything was was just so generic and it's been done before. And I wanted to come out with these riffs that have never been done before. Yeah. Uh, I, I really think we achieved that, man. On that yeah, album. yeah, absolutely. Because you don't sound like anybody and nobody sounds like you. You know? Thanks, bro. Thanks. It's true. I mean, it's true. I mean, I can't think, at least off the top of my head, I mean, there might be some bands, like like I said, I can't think off the top of my head, that after you maybe try to maybe bit some stuff here and there, but before you guys, nobody sounded like you. Yeah, a lot of hard work went into that. A yeah. long road. You know, we after, uh, you know, we needed to find a drummer. So Mario came out and he started playing drums with us. But like I said, it was... Um, it was just a lot of work. So a lot of people couldn't handle all those shows that we played. You know, right. we played every fucking weekend. And um, we played, you know, we practiced in our own studio for, you know, seven days a week. You know, Christmas, we'd be fucking practicing, bro. We practiced <laughs> Christmas, man. Yeah. We were just so fucking dedicated. I was just so driven 
to make the fucking dream happen. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen leeway. They went out, and I wanted to fucking go out, bro. That was my dream. Yeah. I wanted to see the world. I never saw the world. You know, I was uh, not fortunate enough to be, you know, born rich or anything sure. like that. I, you know, I had to take myself there. I had to bring myself there. Yeah. It was a must, man. It was, it was, it was a must with my music, man. With my dream, you know, bro. Yeah, I think you accomplished that. I mean, yeah. you accomplished a chunk of it, at least. Yeah. A good chunk. Yeah, I could get into that. That that's probably a little later on. Yeah. But um, how far is- how far did you go when you were touring during that Doxy Demand time frame? When was the first time you went overseas? It was way after Doxy Demand. Okay, before it is what it is, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dark Seeds Man, um, I got a phone call, and uh, it was a drummer that wanted to try out for us. Mario left, and the drummer, uh, his name was Paulie. And it was... Rest in peace. I went out to Richmond Hill with my van, and I picked up Paulie for the first time at some bodega out there. He met me at some bodega. He had some crazy hair and he said he was 18 years old and then um i picked him up we went back to our studio in queens and we played and it was like phenomenal he cl- he clicked right away he had the demo tape he knew the songs he was the drummer i wanted but then he told us that he was 16 years old and then it was like he was still in school <laughs> there's a lot of stories about that but uh he was 16, he was in school, and Rob was like, nah, he's too young to be in a band. And I'm like, no, I want him, bro. He's just fucking perfect, bro. He's perfect, bro. So we had to wait till he uh, he actually graduated before we could tour and stuff like that. Right. Well, Greg, you know, God rest his soul, he kind of came in the band too, and he was 16 as well. Uh. And, uh, we had two young kids in the band. And, um, we used to we used to say they gotta get good grades because we got spies in their school and spies are looking out for them and the spies are telling us everything they're fucking doing in school. So before we had practice, we had to sit with them and do their homework. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. That's so funny. But these are the guys that wanted, bro. And um we waited it out. We recorded Dark Seeds and Man with Paulie and Tomoki. Tomoki uh was living in Boston and he used to travel in and commute from Boston to Queens to practice with us, which was fucking insane. For him. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, and he did it, man. He really did it. But um, we recorded Dark Seeds of Man and I wanted to tour like crazy, but these guys were too young. So we waited. Tomoki quit the band. Little Greg joined the band. Um, little Greg quit the band and we're still playing crazy shows in America too, you know, going out to Detroit, going out to fucking far ass places, man, fucking having fun. And, um, oh, I remember fucking Paulie's first show with us, bro. Uh, it was, uh, you know, we're out in, uh, Maryland. Listen to this story, bro. 
<laughs> and it's Paul's first show where everybody gets hurt. He's a young kid. He doesn't really, he knows hardcore and stuff, but he doesn't really know like our fucking street hardcore. And we're fucking so brutal and shit. And um, we go out to Baltimore and it's the fall brawl, it's called. It's everybody gets hurt and breakdown out in Baltimore. Nice. So everybody gets hurt, fucking goes on. We finish our set. It's fucking brutal. We go outside, all fucking full of sweat. And all day long, there's these fucking panhandlers, fucking panhandling the crowd. This dude came up to me, he's like, yo, do you know anything about methadone? I'm like, I don't know anything about fucking methadone, motherfucker. Get out of here, man. So we're all fucking, we're out there. We're fucking full of sweat. We just fucking played. And there's these bums still panhandling the crowd. And this one dude is going like this to this lady, this poor girl. He's like, he's pointing his finger at her, right in her breast. I'm like, I fucking had enough of this motherfucker. Fuck this motherfucker. He can't do that to a woman around me. So I go over there in the parking lot. I'm like, yo, motherfucker, me and you right now, one-on-one, fuck you. You know? So I'm like, boom, knock the motherfucker out, probably in one or two punches and shit. And then this woman goes in her purse, right? And she goes like, she has a can of mace and it goes right to my face, Jenny. And she pulls the trigger, right? And it misfires, right? So I'm like, I grab that motherfucker and I'm like, what are you going to do now, huh? And she goes in her fucking pocketbook and she grabs out a second can of mace, bro. And she takes it out and then we have a mace fight right in the parking lot. Paulie's first show with us. I'm fucking spraying some lady. She's spraying me. She's fucking mace, fucking everywhere. We go up the hill. And I finally get her with this last break, and it gets her all on her face, and she goes, "Ah, oh, motherfucker!" And she goes fucking running off and shit. Everyone in the fucking whole place is full of mates and shit. Then breakdown goes on, and we all fucking pile back in the club. We're fucking macing everyone in the fucking whole club because the mace is just all over our fucking bodies, man. It was just fucking sick, <laughs> sickness. Have a mace fight in the parking lot yeah. with some crazy lady. Yeah, forget about the fights we have, bro. Forget oh, about. I'm it. sure. I'm sure. That's a whole. That could be a whole other podcast. I'm sure. Yeah, but all the fights and everything like that. Everyone says, you know, Chris Benetos, he's fucking crazy. He's always uh, fighting. He's always doing this. I'm also, you know, I'm like the most humble man, and I have like a heart of gold, and I'm very, very protective of my family and, and everyone around me. And I want to elevate everyone. I don't fight people just to fucking, you know, fight people. I'll fight for the right reason. Right. That we can get into, you know, later on, you know, the Castle Heights era and shit like that. But yeah. I'll tell you, you know, all about that. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go into it, bro. Let's go into it. That side. Yeah. You know, so there was a place called Castle Heights, and it was in Jackson Heights, and it was like couple blocks away from DMS Schoolyard Park. And all the Manhattan shows were dead. So we would all play Castle Heights, man. And Castle Heights was like the third generation, you know, like Coney Island High. I never even got into that place, but Coney Island High was another fucking awesome spot in the city. Yeah. ruled that spot. Madball ruled that spot. You know, sick of it all. Everyone out there, we had a great time. But those shows closed down. All the city shows closed down. And um, 
we had Castle Heights, and that was like the third generation, I call it. And we uh, we built a hardcore scene out there, man. And it was when I was older, so now I could actually police the scene, and I could uh, actually fight for what's right, and I could uh, let you know all these different types of people, man. You know, people wearing Jenko pants. I don't know if you know that brand. Of course. <laughs> yeah. It cares what you wear or what you look like, you know? It's yeah. about hardcore. It's about family. It's about, you know, being together, you know? Who cares, you know, if you want to be an emo or if you want to be straight edge or if you want, you know, we're all out there together and shit. And if there was someone, you know, out there headhunting people just to be a dickhead, I would take that motherfucker outside and and right around the corner and beat him up one on one. You know, I really, really felt a lot for that scene, and I put on a lot of hardcore shows there. And that was like the jump off point for us touring. After yeah. that. And the jump off point was uh, like Kevin Q from Five Minute Major. Yeah. That has a heart of gold. I don't know if you know him. I don't know him personally. I know the band. Oh. Uh, what a jokester. What a fucking awesome guy that guy is, man. <laughs> for my birthday, one year, he gave me a map of the world. And I took down the map of America with all the pegs in it. I put the map of the world with all the pegs in it. And I said, fuck that. Now we're going to go on the world tour. Yeah. It was time. And we had Dark Suits of Man out. And I saved all my money. And I got with a band in Germany called Sell the Score. Okay. And Sell the Score was phenomenal, you know, phenomenal out there in Germany. They were a very, very hard band. And they were very, very heartfelt. And we got together with them. I put all my money into it. I bought the plane tickets, uh, got the vans. And I worked my fucking ass off, man. I was the record label. I was the manager. And then I, I got it all together and put everything out there. And then Paulie Nonek actually quit the band. Awesome. We, were, uh, we were fucked. And then um, Tom Murphy stepped up. Hey, Tom Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have too much time to practice with us before our first tour in Europe. But um, he did it. He really did it. He stepped up. And uh, he played in Five Minute Major. And um, stepped up and out there. And then that's it. We did it. We fucking went on tour in Europe for the first time. And we went on tour all over the fucking world. But everybody gets hurt. We did Japan. We did from New York to Japan. We did uh, everywhere. We did Canada. We did Puerto Rico. We did great Billy Club Sandwich. Of course. That whole Castle Heights scene, we built a family over there. Yeah. And uh, brother bands with Sworn Enemy, Irate, Billy Club Sandwich, Everybody Gets Hurt. Yeah. Five Fingers of Death. Yes. <laughs> and then we had the Witch's Finger, which was the Six Finger, Five Minute Major. Nice. <laughs> we destroyed shit over there, bro. Uh -huh. Every show got bigger. Every show we played just got bigger and bigger at Castle Heights. Hmm. And we said, fuck it. Fucking kick all you want. Yeah. Anything you fuck. want. Spin kicks came into play. We fucking elevated the hardcore scene, man. You yeah. know? And that's the way you got to do it, man. Yeah. But before I forget, somebody that you know wanted me to ask you something. Um, 
Enzo D, singer for Dogs of War. Killer, man. Killer yeah. guy. Now, he, 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 he saw that I was going to do this with you, so he hit me up and he was like, you have to ask Chris B about the time that you out in Detroit staying over there about the helicopter chase. Helicopter chase? Something about a helicopter chase. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I was... It, you know, I was fucking racing down there. And I guess Steve Pettit was was late. Uh, our guitarist was late, so I had to fucking race out there, man. And um, I'm driving. You know, I'm doing like 125 or whatever. I'm fucking flying, and they got one of those road signs out there. I I think this is the correct story. I, they have one of those speed limit road signs out there. It goes 55, 65. It clocks you when you're going down. Sure. It's it the sign started saying slow down, slow down, slow down. I was just fucking flying. And um I so I guess helicopters started uh following me. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Trying to lose those motherfuckers. Okay. They caught me and gave me a whole bunch of tickets, I guess. Okay. All right. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. He wanted me to ask you, so I threw it out there. I think, I think that's the story. All right, that's fine. Yeah, the road, it, involves, listen, it involves a helicopter, and that's a helicopter story, so it might be the one. Yeah, getting pulled over out there and shit. Uh-huh. The speed limit sign was so funny, man, like 55, 75, 85, 95, slow down, slow down, slow down. I was just fucking flying, bro. Yeah. yeah. All right, so now check it out. Let's Let's go into... Going into the studio to record the masterpiece. It is what it is. Born to lose, live to win. Still on heavy rotation. Yeah. So we toured like fucking mad dogs. Uh You know, all independently. We never got any tours from anyone else. You know, every tour we've ever been on, we've headlined it. And no one ever gave us anything. That feels good. You know what I mean? Sure. We went out there, we did our shit independently, 100% independently. And we had these fucking crazy songs like Goon Squad, never brought it into the studio. Uh-huh. We had, you know, Scumbag, Red Eye Devil. We have a lot of fucking songs. So... In 2006, I left. I went to England, but um, we we tried to plan some some tours. So I came back from England, and my wife was um, just had our first son. We just moved into our first house, and saved enough money, and everyone pulled together to to put these songs out. Mm-hmm. It was me, Dr. Rob, Tom Murphy, and little Greg. And we all went into the studio to record It Is What It Is, Born to Lose, Live to Win. Mm-hmm. Now, same producers, the Dino Machino, Dean, and Mike Dijon, and freaking all of our boys, all the IDS boys. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people on that record. Yeah, yeah. Fucking masterpiece, bro. Yeah. Yeah. it's fucking incredible dude it's a fucking, fucking record 
I I bought I bought that record right from Rob at the merch table at what was it Black and Blue was it like 2007 2008 Yeah probably 2008 probably Yeah 2008 Yeah that's why I I bought that CD right from Rob at the merch table I used to have I might have it somewhere but I had a chunk of your bass from that show Oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a nice bass, man. That was yeah, you, 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 you had to break that bass that day. Oh yeah, that was a fucking custom made bass for me. G and L. It was um, the guy who made the Music Man and the guy who made Fender uh, came together. They make this bass called the G and L. Actually, the G and L bass. Nice. So. GNL is very, very expensive. That one was uh, made custom for me. And I was on I was on someone's shoulders in the pit. I, I think was it was that Terry, thing I think it was Terry's, Terry's shoulders, maybe. Uh, I think it was Mark. Mark. It was so it was somebody's shoulders, but then the bass hit the floor. Yeah. Like, oh that was it, man. I just saw smashing that thing. Yeah. I you know, I get so overwhelmed with uh, my passion for hardcore music. Sometimes I just flip out. It just drives me to another level. I always want to take it to another level, you know? Yeah. You know how many bases I smashed, you know? Oh, I God only know. Yeah, I, I've, seen you, I've seen you snap out on several occasions, like, yo. Like, we can fast forward just like a little bit just to touch on it because we're talking about you losing your mind. but um. It was at Little Greg's Fest. And I was on the stage, and I don't remember what band was on. I don't remember. But you weren't there yet. And all I saw, I look over, and that place was at the Morgan, and it had had brick walls. There was nothing really to grab onto. But I see you run in, and you were, like, literally climbing the brick wall. Like, I'm like, how do you do that? Like, you would, like, climb the brick wall and was just bouncing like crazy. Like, it, was, it wasn't even normal. But I was like, oh, shit, Chris B is here. Everybody, clear the fuck out. And it was, I was like, yo, you were climbing the bricks. There was nothing to grab onto, but you were still climbing the bricks, bro. I don't know. I, I had that burned into my head. Yeah, you got to push it. Push it to the next level, man. Yeah. I do the same old shit all the time. And yeah, climbing the walls. I, that show was very, very, very heartfelt, man, for little Greg. Who had a beautiful, beautiful guy. Yeah. And it was a beautiful show. And it was very hard saying goodbye to that guy. Rest in peace. Yeah. Very, very hard saying goodbye to him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like you a, lot know. a lot of passion in that show, bro. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I, I didn't know Greg for a long time. I knew him for a couple of years. And when I started going and, and I was, you know, hanging out with him and I was hanging out with Rob and, and I would go to the studio in Whitestone and I, I watched them and, you know, form all that red eye devil stuff. And, you know, I wound up hanging out with Greg several times. At the time, I was still drinking. I haven't drank in over six years, but I was I was kind of out there. But 
you know, me and Greg, we would, you know, sit at the bar and we would bullshit. So, and we would talk on the phone a lot. So I felt like we felt like we knew each other for like a really long time. Like we, me and Greg clicked for a while there. And, you know, I think it was Martin BCS. It was like beginnings of Facebook. And I saw that he posted something and I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And I went to the hospital and I was there at the hospital when he was there. And it was just, it was, it was messed up because it was less than a year after my mother had passed. So it was just like a one, two shot. And it was, it was some bad time. And once that show that that show was like, I was like, how can I help in any way? You know? And like, I, I created like the, I didn't do, I'm not, you know, like the banner and the shirt design and stuff like that. I was like, anything that I could do to help, like, just, just ass. I'm right here. You know what I mean? Because Greg was a really good dude. That was awesome. And that was, it was really, a, it was just a bad time. It was it terrible. Was, that hospital hurt. I was there every fucking day, man. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he was on a life support system. Yeah. He was the sweetest guy you ever met before in your life. The guy was golden. He would do anything for anyone at any time. And, um, you know, you have children, and it, it hurt, man. Yeah. You know, yeah, it hurt a lot. Yeah. A lot. And I was, you know, me, I was there. Rob was there. Tom Murphy was there, and his father was there for his last uh, breaths. And it was, it, it's, it hurts saying goodbye. Yeah. It hurts saying goodbye, but I, I know I'll see him again. I know I'll see Lil Greg again. I know I'll see Paul Nonek again, you know. Down bowls. Sure. See a lot of a lot of us, you know, go to the other side. They always say the brightest candles burn out first. There you go. Yeah. Sorry about your mom. So sorry, bro. Yeah, um, it's uh yeah, it was it was thank you. But you know, you know, it's it, it was a while ago. It's almost insane that it's almost 10 years now for my mother. It's it's just it's baffling how time goes. Um, you know, but just that that whole time frame was just it was just even like my personal life, there was a lot of, there was like a two year period that was just a lot of bad things were going on, upsetting things, just things coming out of nowhere. It was just a, a very, very dark time. I don't know, for me personally, and obviously a lot of other people, but in my situation, it was just a, it was just a bad time. But, you know, listen, you know, I, I don't dwell on it. Of course, I think back and, I listen to EGH and I, I hear Greg and I have pictures with him and there's this and there's that. And so, you know, I look back on it and, you know, I don't, I don't really get upset anymore. It's completely, it's terrible and it's unfortunate. And that's just a fact, but I just, you know, I try to move on as much as you can dude. You know what I mean? With all due respect, you know? Yeah. It sucks. It never gets on uh, It just sucks. There's nothing else to say. It just sucks. You know? But, you know, we got to hold their values in our heart. We got to hold what they believe in. And we got to carry that forward with us. And, you know, there, there's a lot of passion there. And we got to give that passion back. Yeah. We can't, can't let dwell on it as, as a bad thing to happen. You, you got to use their beautiful life. And, you know, you got to walk their beautiful path, you know, and you got to push that on to the next person. Yep. tell their stories and you know enlighten other people yeah 100 percent, man 100 percent. 
So, you know, it's like, you know, so you put, you put out that record and then, you know, and then eventually, I mean, just to put it bluntly, then eventually the band was kind of like no more for a while. And then obviously there was a few shows after that. Yeah. Well, that comes with, with kids. So of course, I, I was a war dog guy. You know, I was just like, I want to tour for the rest of my life. That's all I want to do. You know, and I had it set up. I had the whole thing set up. But then when we came back um, from, you know, we've been on brutal, brutal fucking tours, you know, different country every day type of tours. Yeah. And but when we came back, you know, Rob has kids and little Greg had kids. And they said to me, you know, they can only tour two two weeks a year. Right. And it's true. When when you have kids, you know, it's like um, I'm making one dollar and I'm spending three. That's a lyric. It's a lyric. It's everybody gets hurt. Yeah. And it's true, man. You know, now that I have kids as well, you know, I know what it is. I know you got to be there for your family. And it's, you know. Financially and economically, it's absolutely impossible to really, really do what we wanted to do out there on the road right. and still maintain a beautiful life for our families. Sure. You know, that's, that's what happened when everybody gets hurt, you know? Yeah. And the best thing about it is we're still freaking all best friends. Right. You know? And we gained so much, you know, friendship through all those years on the road and together. And, you know, our kids, you know, they grew up together. You know, they went into the bathtubs together. You know what I mean? They're awesome. And the birthdays together and stuff like that. And if anyone, anyone needed us to come out for a benefit show or something like that, we're fucking, the Wolf Pack is right there, bro. Yeah. There playing benefit shows. We'll get right down into the thick of things too. Man. So yeah. never count this out, but... Well, right now we have families that we need to support. We need to of be there. Of course, your family should always be your priority, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. This is what I always say, Jim. You know, I live my dreams, bro. I live my dreams to the fullest, man. If my dreams were here, I fucking, I hit that, man. I hit fucking top of my dreams. But now it's time for me to help my kids live their dreams. You know, right. it's time for me to help my kids live their dreams and make their dreams come true. You know, that's and, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Yeah, man. Yep. It was. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, like you, you're an amazing father, and I see that with your with your stuff on Facebook and stuff like that. Even though it sounds so corny on Facebook, but I, I see it and and I know it because I'm a father and I and I get it and I completely respect that, dude. I mean, I mean. You said like earlier that you, your dad left in like the seventies. Like I come from a broken home myself, so I, I think that both of us probably just have place. Not saying that other people don't, but there's a there's a thing about family that you don't want that same outcome for them as you. Yeah, I always said, you know, after my father left, you know, I always said I was never ever going to leave my kids. Right. Oh no way. Right. I, I've been there. You know, we went through childhood together. I have a. A boy that's 11 years old, uh, 12 years old, and my daughter is 11 years old. Yep, my daughter's 11 too. Yeah, we're up to the second stage now. You know what I mean? And I have I've been there every step of the way. So it's yep. great. It's great. It's awesome, dude. Fuck the umbilical cord, everything. It's great. I did too. I did too. It was a little weird, but I had to do it. Oh man, no, I gave him. It was great for me. Cut it and took a little baby and 
gave him their first bath and yeah. oh, phenomenal. I mean, you think you know love, you know, you love your mom, you love your dad. You don't know love until you have a child. Yeah. And my love is just incredible. Incredible. Yeah. 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 It's, it's purest form, purest form is the choice. 100%. 100%. You know, and it's, you know, and like just to, just to go, I mean, you know, we touched on little Greg and, and, and that, and then it was kind of like, it's funny how the universe works because it was three years to the day of his passing that you guys played the black and blue ball. And I believe that was the last show that EGH played, right? No, I, I think the last show was the tsunami fest in, uh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. The guys out there were awesome. They put us on on that fest. I think that was our last show. Yeah. But it's it's not going to be our last show. I'm sure we're going to play. Well, that. for the time, like like you know, mm-hmm. until then, you know, until whatever comes, that was the last one. Going back to the last show, man. Um, the the little Greg, the six minutes, the six minutes. Oh, the Terra Ash stuff. Oh man, that was freaking. That was phenomenal, man. I think I have goosebumps just yeah. I, I I rewatched somebody, I'm not sure, maybe Jamie York or somebody recorded different sections of that show. And Jamie did, man. He did a great job. Yeah. Wild did too. Uh, yeah. Uh, but there's one I get I get chills. Yes, of course, there's that whole six minutes where Rob is like, I don't want a moment of silence, I want a moment of violence. That's my brother. Yeah. Like that was like like they had the whole like the 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 slideshow of little Greg and stuff behind you guys, which was like I was standing in that crowd and I just stopped there. I'm just staring. I got choked up watching it. And then um but like right in the beginning I get chills because Rob just comes out just in in Rob fashion. You know, he's just like uh if you don't wanna get what does he say? If you don't wanna get you don't want to get kicked in the kicked face. in the face or smacked with a face. Take your ass to the back, and he screams. Everybody gets hurt. Like I watched it like three days. That's, motto, man. That's always been the motto for Broadway. And I it's I got killed up my so I watched and I'm just like, oh my god, man, so good, so fucking good, man. Yo, just give me six minutes of your time. Six minutes. That's all I ask. And he's screaming, wake the dead. And I was just like, yo, it's an emotional. Bro, I, while you watch it, I get chills, man. That was cool, man. And there's going to be a show for Paulie, too. Paulie Nomad, who passed Good. away. We're going to come back and do that show, man. Good. That show, bro. One day. I hope so. I hope it's sooner rather than later with the world the way it is right now. I hope it's sooner rather than later, brother. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Do you know how long we've been going for? Way too long, I think, man. No, not at all. It's not at all. You didn't break a record, but it's not too long at all. We're at two hours and six minutes. <laughs> Damn, I think we're gonna call it quits now, bro. All right, that that's fine. And if and dude, you have an open door if you ever want to come up. If there's, yeah, I got, I got fucking tons of stuff to show. I got fucking tons of stuff here to show you too, man. Fucking, <laughs> look at this flyer for my boy John Bowles. I don't know if you can see that one. No, of course I see. Scarhead, Breakdown, Outburst, Crown of Thorns, Sub-Zero, Fit of Anger, No Redeeming Social Values, Cold Front, District 9, At the Wetlands, Benefit Show for my boy John Bowles, man. 
Yeah, I got tons of stuff like this to show you. Of course you do. You do artwork. You did artwork for the Japanese band Scar for Life, right? You've done, you've done a lot of stuff. Yeah, forget about it. We got to go into my artwork one day, man. Yeah, we, we, can, we can do a part two Chris B's art, bro. I'm down. Whatever. Cool. Whenever you want, I know that you're working and you're breaking your ass and it's highly commendable, but whenever you want to do it again, we can fucking do it again. But before... No, the clothing line too, man. The Revolt clothing line. Yes. Yeah, you Revolt have a brand for it. Get at it. Um, at Revolt underscore Chris B at Instagram. You guys can awesome. follow that. And check out my my, my uh, clothing line over here. There you go. Me and my man Ricky in Japan are putting out my clothes. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to, I just have to, I, I almost forgot. I have to shout out my three sponsors real quick. Yeah, hit your three sponsors. Do, do you do you drink coffee? Are you a coffee guy or no? No. No, not at all? All that work, you don't drink coffee? No. no all right. Well, anyway, Dead Sled Coffee. Um, if you go to deadsledcoffee.com and you put in promo code Brooklyn Blast, you get 15% off your order, and anything over $40 is free shipping. You can follow them on Instagram at deadsledcoffee. Um, it's also, the podcast is also sponsored by Generation Records. 210 Thompson Street in the West Village in New York City. Yeah, dude. Shout out to Mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Follow them on Instagram at Generation Records. Yeah. Oh, Mark's the best. Ex-casualties. A lot of people don't know. He gets embarrassed whenever I say that. He's like, you're like the only person that I know that that knows that I was in the casualties. I'm like, well, I know things. But uh, if you go to generationrecords.bigcartel.com, there's a mail order thing there, but they've survived this whole pandemic thing so far so if you're in the new york city area go to the brick and mortar spot it's 210 thompson street in the west village here in new york city and last but definitely not least new republic printing screen printing embroidery buttons and vinyl stickers if you go to newrepublicprinting.net there's a drop down menu you can get whatever you whatever you want printed you can pick whatever kind of clothes you want um no screen fees no setup fees and no screen fees is big, no setup fees. And if you get your order delivered to a commercial address, it's free UPS shipping. So you can get 10,000 shirts and 1,000 boxes delivered to your door. No charge. Chill. Chill. New, New Republic printing on Instagram. Those are my three sponsors. Support the small Yeah, the Brooklyn Blast. Yeah, right. we did it. <laughs> We're over no, here now. We're over here now. But now listen, last but not least, um, I say it all the time, but this video is going to go up raw just like this on, on YouTube, and I run it on the group page. But the audio version, I tack on my intro, and you can find it anywhere, iTunes, Spotify, wherever, anywhere, Amazon Music, everywhere. But at the end, I have to ask you, you have to pick a song that I'm going to tack on the end of this episode. And it's your episode, my man. Your bands, your song, your pick, whatever you want. Oh, shit, man. Pick two songs, whatever you want. Oh, pick a song off of Dark Seeds of Man and pick a song off of It Is What It Is. So for, for EGH, I could pick um, Goon Squad. Of course. And I could pick no asylum. Got it. Well, for for hardcore style, I'll pick Show Force Megalomaniac. I don't know if you can get that one. 
I'll I'll try. It might be on YouTube. Show of Force, Megalomaniac. Yeah. And um, Outburst, Hardaway. Amazing. Amazing song. Yeah. Leeway, leeway, you know, rise and fall. <laughs> I don't know. I could go on all night. Oh, I know. I, I I can't put nineteen songs. I'll put I'll put the I'll put I'll see if I can get Megalomaniac from Show of Force. I'll definitely put the two G E G H songs and I'll throw a, uh, Outburst of Hardway. Cool. So if it's not four, if it's not three, it's four songs, no doubt. Chris B, my man. Dude, thank everyone for all the support. Thank you, Jimmy, for having me. I'm glad to support your show, bro. Anytime, I appreciate it, bro. I, I I thank you for coming on. Like I said in the beginning, I wanted to so I wanted to talk to you, with you when I first started the podcast. You were one of the people that I wanted to bullshit with, and I'm glad that we connected and we did this, and it's been dope. And like I said, you have an open door policy. You ever want to do another one? Talk about your artwork. You want to get deeper into other stories? Just let me know, and we'll make it happen. I'll skill another flyer, and we'll make it happen. Killer, bro, killer. Awesome. Dude, I'm taking you away from your family. Say hi to everybody. Hope all is well. Stay safe, and we'll definitely be in touch, my man. Thank you, bro. Thanks, everyone out there, man. Paulie No Neck, rest in peace. Little Greg, rest in peace. Ah, oh, fresh. Fresh. Definitely. Later, my man. Thanks, bro. Peace.
Let's go. 